0: Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hey, y'all. Welcome to this week's episode of For Future Reference. I'm Tori Taylor. And I'm Ambar Calvillo Rivera. This podcast is all about creating a space to have real, candid conversations about the role that people play in our lives, especially the ones who lift us up in professional and personal ways and how they make up the support structure in our lives. It's advice and food for thought that you can use now or just keep around for future reference.
2: This week we are talking about the art of being a badass. Mm. We use this word a lot on the pod and we realize that, you know, maybe this means different things for different people and wanted to spend some time today to talk about how we think about it. What are the cool things about being a badass? What does it mean? What are the tougher things about this word and that persona?
1: Yeah, I mean, someone did actually very recently just tell us they noticed that we say badass a lot when we <laughs> reference folks we admire, particularly probably in this show.
2: Yeah. When I think of someone who is a badass, a few people come to mind. I think of my friend Aaron, my friend Kaylin, my friend Amy.
1: And what are some of the common denominators for those folks?
2: You know, all of the people that I think about this and associate this word with They are smart, they're capable, and mostly they move the hell forward. Hmm. I realize that my definition of badass really revolves around women who are getting things done, they are moving forward. If there is an obstacle in front of them, they figure it out, they ask for help, they're direct, they're clear, and they're unapologetic about who they are. They know what they know, they also know what they don't know, and ultimately I think that these women know who they are They are who they are and they own that. And it's not always easy to fully own who we are, I think.
1: And this word uh, can mean a lot of different things to folks, and some people might not even like using it, and I totally get that. I actually read that the word badass came to be recorded in the mid-1950s, and it wasn't a positive word. In fact, it was more of an insult, kind of, Mm. and and because it was associated with a mean-tempered or belligerent Mm -hmm. person or even a bully – But like a lot of words, it's something that has been reclaimed and turned into something Mm. that is more about empowerment for some people. And I personally, I do like it as a describer. And I just honestly, it's the word that just pops up into my mind when I think about incredible women I respect and admire. It just does. And I think it's because to me, the word feels more like a description for something that is within someone, Mm. like a vibe or just like a fire within you that you just can't contain because it just manifests in how you move and express yourself in the world. And so it's less about the jobs or the roles or the accolades. It, it manifests in the way you show up for folks and yourself, kind of like you were talking about your friends. You know, to me as someone, uh, or to me, a badass is someone um, who does what they need to do and they do it in a way that they're proud of. Like when you have to push through that double shift because it's what you know is providing for your family. And there's a lot of pride in that, even though it's really hard. Or it's someone that doesn't take the easy way, right? But you push through past resistance because you hold strong to vision of what's on the other side, even when other people can't see it. Um you know, that reminds me of my sister, my older sister, who's a mom of three kids and going to school and also working and holding it down with her partner at home and you know, I think that's really strong, right she's holding down she's holding on to a vision and working towards something and pushing past obstacles and being tired. And because of what people are doing at any given point or how they show up, you just feel like you know, like when you see them, that even when times are tough, you know that they kept going. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, because a badass just doesn't stop. They just can't be stopped.
2: And we also know that there's another side to this, right? You know, we admire all of these badass women from our perspective and... We know that there's also probably a lot of stuff that's going on underneath the surface and things that don't make it so easy for these women to be awesome people that we sit here and talk about on this podcast.
1: Yeah. I think pushing past resistance is not easy. And that actually can have some real consequences that we don't always see and we don't talk about. And it's equally as important because when supporting or mentoring badass leaders and being there for your badass family members and friends, I think we should be aware of how we can come through in different ways and things we need to ask and maybe check in on.
2: This is one of the reasons I'm really excited about your conversation with Jane today, because it captures a lot of what we just said in a, in a real way. Can you tell us a little bit about her?
1: So when Jane was 21 years old in her first media-related job, she noticed that there were challenges in the industry that she really wanted to tackle. But like most badasses, she wasn't going to do it alone. She knew that she could look to other people. So she started interviewing people around her, other women that were also pursuing creative paths and asking them what they needed. Needed to thrive in their own careers. So then in 2015, she set up a meetup to bring them all together. And what happened was really incredible. More than 300 women ended up showing up to that meetup. Mm. And so seeing that level of interest led to the creation of Boss Babes ATX. Now Boss Babes ATX has really grown and evolved. They are described as a Texas-based nonprofit that amplifies and makes spaces to connect people that identify as women and non-binary creatives, entrepreneurs, leaders, and organizers. They create opportunities for folks to share their crafts, find collaborators, learn new skills, seek guidance, and provide each other with practical and honestly emotional resources that they need to thrive. And they really believe that representation, education, and intersectionality make for more resilient leaders and communities. Um, I want to share a little bit about what led to this point in the conversation. Jane shared with me that she experienced a lot of ups and downs. She experienced burnout as she overworked herself with 50 plus hours every week with little to no funding and also was getting some of the ugly side of working on a digital and visible community when she would get ugly emails and was being harassed and was getting messages about the community that they were building. She opened up about some of the tough parts about leading through that and the impact it had on her mental health and how she learned to navigate it and create boundaries and ask for support from her community. It, it takes a lot for a really strong network to keep going. You know, you, we all still need it. So what kept you going? I mean, and- Was it just that <laughs> or like what? It must have
0: been really hard. When I think about community and when I think about support and Mm -hmm. when I think about finding people to be around who can help through different things, what I've realized through this process is that if we start off by expecting other people to do things we don't know that they that we need from them, Mm -hmm. that we're going to be disappointed every time. I think the one thing that I want to just shatter about seeking community support or even just this concept of women supporting other women Mm -hmm. is that it's very difficult to support one another if we're not being honest about what we need and if we can't articulate those needs. And that doesn't mean that even if you can't articulate them or you... Don't know what you need, that you're not deserving of support. That's not true at all. Mm -hmm. But I've just realized that I have to recognize that as a barrier Mm -hmm. to receiving and accepting support. And that oftentimes, especially in communities that are under resourced, um, which a lot of us are part of in different ways, depending upon where you've come from and who you are and what the color of your skin Mm -hmm. is, knowing that upfront, that you know, the barriers I'm experiencing, my community is probably experiencing those barriers too, and we might not be well-equipped to support one another. I think just identifying that has been a bank of support for me because it's helped me realign my expectations. It's also helped me too, like when someone comes to me with disappointment and I'm like, dang, if you only knew what I've also been trying to go through and I wanted that from you or whatever, that... Um, I can hold space for that other person and have my needs met later. And that view of support, changing my mindset around support and allowing myself to one, identify my needs, and make those known to people around me who have told me they want to support me, and then seeing what happens has just really changed so much. I mean, it's changed the dynamic of the board that runs um, Bossu's ATX now. Mm. Um, it's changed the way I talk and communicate with others, and I have received a lot more support mm. in that. Um, it's also, you know, even just from an external standpoint of communicating our needs as a grassroots non-benefactor, mm-hmm. you know, non-grants funded organization, recognizing that I have to be clear about that to our community and I have to make people know that like we need their donations and they have to pay tickets for things or we're not going to survive. Like that's how people know that they can support us, right? right? They don't know we need support otherwise. And so um yeah, it's it's weird. I'm like almost saying that I have to learn how to do that in order to receive support but that's been a really transformative thing for me these last two years
1: so there's this this piece that i think is so important for all of us and i think in particular for people that identify as women that we you know or all of these other um identities in our lives that make it hard for us to give ourselves permission To figure, you know, giving ourselves permission, time and space to figure out what we need and call it out and name it Um, and then allowing ourselves to create that space with others. And I think to your point of like whether it was your colleagues or the relationships that we're in with our friends, I mean, it could be. It allows us to enter a space in a relationship where we're thinking about how they're receiving us also. And and how can they receive us if we're not being honest and we're not being, you know, we're, we're sort of trying to manifest this other idea of ourselves. So I think all of that is so, so important.
2: Okay, taking a quick breather from all of that advice that Jane dropped on us. This is such a powerful peek behind the curtain of such an incredible woman. Mm -hmm. I've been a fan of Jane for a while, and I love her column on Forbes. Her work with Boss Babe ATX is so cool. And this interview with her is really providing to me a whole new side of her as a person. Yeah. And I'm really appreciative of her calling out the being clear and communicative about our needs And also the downside of what can happen when we don't. I think sometimes there can be these notions that we hold so much on our shoulders and inside and it's really uplifting and powerful to hear people we admire just completely bust that myth mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. it actually reminded me of a theme that boss Babe atx covered earlier this year in the summer um when they talked about allowing ourselves to have time and space to recover think and process uh where we're headed or to just solve problems we're experiencing. And that's definitely something I got out of this particular part of the interview. And that if we have the privilege and the space to sit and reflect on what is going on around us and and how to tackle it, that we should take it. Continuing on with the interview, Jane shares more here on what she learned from realizing that going 100 miles an hour was not sustainable and ultimately how it influenced positive organizational practices for her, the board, and ultimately the programs that Boss Babes ATX now offers.
0: At the end of 2017, uh, we officially had gone through one year of being a registered nonprofit. So the first year and a half of the organization, we were just kind of operating under my own, my own social security number, oh which gosh. was terrible. Mm-hmm. Um and I was working 90 hour weeks. I had a full time job and I was working 50 hours a week for free on the nonprofit mm-hmm. um at by the end of 2017 and had been doing that for, you know, two and a half years. And I had at that point hired a few people to help me transition them into the board. And I had this awakening of sort. So the message that I was sending to everyone who was working with me and to everyone who came along was that I was so happy and yeah. I was so excited to be doing this work and it was no problem and no worries. It's okay if you don't do that. No, I paid you for that, but you know, it's all right. Mm-hmm. I, I was sending that message everywhere, mm-hmm. right? And I had to sit down honestly with myself and be like, you know what? That is your fault. Like I How are you going to move from this space and recognizing that like you're not being honest with everyone around you about your capacity as a leader? Mm. You're not you're not being honest about your shortcomings. You're not being honest about the the areas of this project that are outside of your circle of competence. How are you going to move past your ego, Mm. which that's all that was. Mm. Ego is what keeps us from telling people the truth about our struggles. Mm. And how are you going to do that? And what is it going to take, like, if you're going to be really honest about, like, what is it going to take to get you to not work on this project for 50 hours a week for free?
1: That, you know, that that reminds me of something else that I think is really important that that struck sort of a chord with me is that, you know, when we think of, you know, these like badass people in our lives, right? You're you're doing this thing. You're also, I mean, Boss Babes, ATX has it is a social media presence also, which I think also heightens the level of performance in a way of you know, what you need to appear to be because everyone has eyes on it in a way, right? And you, the whole, I think, you know, I guess anchor to this is that you're inspiring other people, right? I can imagine where it comes from of saying, well, how can I be honest about my shortcomings and still be like inspiring and all good and and create this really positive vibe, right? And the other thing around that is that we Glorify sometimes, um, without being honest about the damage. We glorify, you know, the working eighty-plus weeks, right? We we sort of romanticize the the the
0: grind. Of, yeah, busy is not better. Exactly. It's Actually, probably an indication that you're doing more work than you should, or you're not delegating tasks well enough. Mm. I mean. Yeah, speaking to that, so at the end of 2017, I was at the end of my rope, and really it was just that survival thing that kicked in where I had to choose between, okay, I either give Boster's ATX a full-ass shot, hmm. like I go all in, and I figure this out, and I figure out what it's really gonna take to make this work, hmm. or I give it up altogether. Um, I had to make that choice. And so I made the choice, I quit my full-time job, And I, I thankfully had already had savings set aside that I had, I was not necessarily preparing to take the jump, but I am just, I am just one of those people that always has some sort of safety net. Yeah. Um, That's just how I, yeah. There's always something. I always have a safety net. I've always been that way. And so, yeah, end of 2017, I quit my full-time job and I sat down and determined, okay, I know I can't pay myself a, a salary. Full time yet because I'm going to have to work toward that with the organization. So, what am I, what can I do mm-hmm. um, outside of this that's going to be amenable time wise so I can at least get that 90 hours down to 60 and pay my bills and not be stressed out so I'm not making poor decisions every day because yeah. uh, that is a big thing. If you're stressed out every day, you're making really terrible decisions and that's a ne- negative feedback loop, right? I started to identify like, okay, like this program takes a ton of time. I've been harassed and stalked online for like three months following producing that program each time. Uh, That probably is not going to work for now unless we find someone else to do it. So, and it wasn't necessarily me coming in and being like, all right, we're making all these changes cuz mm-hmm. I need this and blah blah blah. I was it was more so just okay, I'm putting it all on paper and I'm going to go through like what is the time that this takes? What's the energy that this takes? What's the money that this actually ta- mm. takes if we're paying everyone, if every single aspect of the work done on this thing gets paid, how much money do we actually need? So when I did this whole big exploration, And I now have like a curriculum around this because I did this whole framework um, and it it helped me. uh, It's called Get Self-Organized. I haven't released it yet, but I've been working on it since Mm -hmm. doing this because it was so helpful for me. After doing this whole framework and putting it all down on paper, I created a strategic plan and – I presented it to my board and to the different committee members we were working with, and I was like, this is what's going on. Some of these really terrible behaviors that I have allowed myself to do in a relationship to this work has led toward the success of this organization. So... If we got to figure out a different way to do that, that's still going to be successful. So mm-hmm. it was also putting that on the table as well. Mm-hmm. And there, I mean, obviously there were some, some of our organizing methods, I think were, were still really great and didn't need to be changed. Mm-hmm. So it was important to recognize like why that was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I've learned about leadership is that you're not a leader if nothing works without you in it. Yes. Yes. Does that Mm -hmm, make sense? mm -hmm. So I think for a long time, my concept of leadership was that I can take care of everything and I am the person everyone can lean on. And that is so that is so much. And I think that that also reinforces ego more than anything else. And that's what. That's what I mean by the dynamic changing is moving from this place in which I have all the answers and instead where our team has the opportunity to, one, receive accurate data about Mm -hmm. the problems that we're facing and the places that we need to grow. Um, And two, can make informed decisions based on that, right? Whether or not they want to work with us, Um, whether or not they want to work at an organization that only pulls in $200,000 in annualized revenue, you know, but has these grand visions and ideas. And that informed decision-making process of being able to put it all out on the table and trust people around me to not hold that up with shame and with yeah. judgment, but it, to instead see that as a complex, nuanced ecosystem that we have the responsibility to influence and change has just been profound Mm -hmm. and it doesn't work every time don't get me wrong there's times where someone doesn't understand right like what we're holding up to the light they don't understand what we've written down on paper and then we have to work to figure out okay how do we write this thing in a way that everyone can contribute I mean there's always issues with accessibility and inclusivity when you're doing any type of work Mm -hmm. um, in that way but um, you know that's at least a work in progress now and it's not on one person to fix it's something that we're all looking at together and we're inching toward that every single day. And so that's how the dynamic has changed a lot over the last year and a half. Um, and it's not just because of me. I mean, in doing this, in doing this and putting all this out on paper, I invited the expertise of the room in. Mm -hmm. You know, and and that was was important. Yeah,
1: I was going to say that one of the the, I mean, it's just I'm I commend you all. And I think in particular, I mean, you gave him a shout out into your board because, you know, I was going to say there are bigger organizations with bigger budgets, with more staff, where boards and staff members and leaders, CEOs, executive directors don't want to go through that work. They don't. Um, and and honestly, I understand why. Yes. I mean, <laughs> well, yes, but like your point of, yes. And there's no. It's hard. Th- it, it, it's hard. I understand yes, yes. why because it is, it is inherently very, very difficult. Yes. Yeah. But there is a responsibility for people in those positions to, to know that even though it's challenging, you know, to, to say, am I, am I in this position to do that hard thing? As because I know what's what's good for for, and best for for all of us, right? Or or should we just keep going the way things are and and let you continue to you know drive yourself to the ground and and that's fine and I don't want to deal with it, right? Which and some people decide that that's the route they want to take. Um, and the other thing of you know I hadn't thought about it as this sense of ego, but it uh, you're absolutely right, and I think that it also is harmful to the people. I mean, you named this at the end of like it's harmful to the people around you right you're now you know you don't let others lead right you think that you are you know I've done this I've seen you know some of my bosses do this where they think that this will only survive if they do it that you know it will only survive if I do it but I'm limiting the people around me
0: which um, is actually what I will say though is that sometimes that is true and I would argue that if if that is true that an organization should work to make that not true yeah. because it means that when that person dies or when that person burns out or when that person is no longer interested in working on that project, the whole thing dissolves. Mm-hmm. And that's you know typically called founder syndrome. Um, but yeah, I think that when you identify that that is true, I think a lot of people will freak out about it and like um, just start to attack the founder or whatever that looks like. And I actually think there's some steps that you can take to work through that, right? Um, I also think we have to be very realistic that I'm talking about all of this right now. I am still susceptible to being a shitty leader. Yeah. (laughs) We all are. The work is never finished, you know? Every time I step outside of my circle of competence and what I mean by that is, you know, the things I feel like I know to be true and I'm aware of my blind spots in – um, so anytime I step outside of that, right, I am probably making decisions without enough information. And I'm also thinking I'm right mm-hmm. because I don't have enough information to know I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. And so we, whenever we do that, which we're all going to do if we're leaders in some way, because you have to try new things, you have to solve new problems. Uh, we're always at a risk of, of, of being the kind of leader that doesn't let others lead or doesn't have... A framework for identifying what's actually making something work you know um, and and in those cases when something does work and we step outside of that we think we're the genius and that's you know that is such false information too One,
1: <laughs> well, it just also reminds me and i hope other people to be compassionate uh to the people in these positions right that It is sometimes easier to just say, oh, this is so obviously wrong or they could have done that. But there's I think there has, especially for us, right, for our community of like allow some compassion to inform how you approach the conversations or, you know, help that person, you know, restructure things or, um, instead of just saying (laughs) you need to throw it all out or you need to leave or you need to scrap it all. It's like having some compassion about where that person is.
0: When I think part of that, right, maybe it's less about, I mean, compassion for sure. But I think part of that is, um, we walk through life seeing authority figures as experts and assuming they know more than us, which in some cases they might, I'd actually argue that everyone around you knows more than you on a particular yes, subject. Yes, <laughs> that's true. Mm-hmm. No matter who they are mm-hmm. and no matter what biases you think and hold about their intelligence or their profession or their abilities. Um, I think if we stop seeing everyone in positions of authority as experts, that It gives us permission to look at something for what it is and not for, not for what someone is telling us it is. And it's an opportunity to unpack that. Right. And I I think that's where you can have a genuine conversation with someone is you can be like, well, instead of me assuming that this decision you're telling me you made is correct and it's the best decision. Why don't we instead talk about how we make decisions? Mm -hmm. How are we making decisions Mm. as an organization? How are we making decisions as individuals? Because if I can better understand how you make a decision and you can better understand how I make a decision, then we have an opportunity to better understand each other, but also to be able to recognize like, Hey, I don't think that that decision lines up with how we typically approach these things. So, before I just blindly trust you or before I just attack you for it, let's walk through what that process was.
1: Well, to sort of close on that, um, if then this is sort of a, this is our closing pod question that we ask to everyone because we think it's important to to share and that no matter where you are in whatever your career or non-career or exploration of, of your gifts and skills is that there's always um, you can always ask for help and that you, you know, there's always something to learn. So if you were going to have coffee or drinks or juice (laughs) with your mentor this week, um, what would you want to ask them?
0: I think what I would want to know at this stage in my career is how How do we incorporate forgiveness into our day-to-day work? And what I mean by that is I think what I've seen a lot with other leaders, and I'm curious if other people get through this too, is that oftentimes we go through something in which we we feel really wronged by others or maybe it's someone we're working with or working for or whatever that looks like, right? And we develop a narrative around that and what it means about us and what it means about other people or types of people or even just about the work we're pursuing ourselves mm-hmm. right we we have this story that we start to tell mm-hmm. and i'm curious as to how i I'd, I'd like to know how other people get through their stories i mean obviously therapy is is a great Great. answer, (laughs) Um, but I think there's a daily practice, right, of, like, being able to recognize that in our leadership that might be something that we're going through, and I'll give an example just in case this is still not, like, I'm not using the right language for it, but, um, you know, I meet a lot of people that are like, I never do this this way anymore because this one thing happened Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. or we as an organization don't collaborate with groups like that anymore because Mm -hmm. this thing happened five years ago or I personally just don't like xyz for reasons that only I know and that's why I don't that's why this that's why I don't do that work or that's why I'm no longer a leader in that space Mm -hmm. or that's why I removed myself from such and such I think a lot of times those types of things are justified, but I think, you know, just speaking back to the gut feeling thing I said earlier, I've recognized that there's been a few times where I've had that story and it's been wrong, Hmm. right? And I'm curious as to what other people do when they realize that that's wrong. And that's something I would ask, you know, the people whose work I've been reading, like, well, what have you done in those situations where you've built practices and you've maybe even made assumptions about your target market. Let's say you're a business owner or assumptions about the problem you're solving in a community just for those reasons alone that you were like hurt by somebody or, you know, you made a poor decision and were embarrassed. I mean, there's so many different Mm -hmm. things that we do. So that's what I would want to ask a mentor. I think that's like what I'm most curious about because I've had this great privilege of spending this year to really examine my decision-making. And because I've been developing like a curriculum and stuff around that and also going through that with with the board. And I've recognized that that does, that is a filter that I often am grappling with and have to like, move around is this Mm -hmm. bias of my own experience. But at the same time, right, that's like really valuable information. I mean, that's why we're hardwired as humans to go through something bad and then not want to do it again. I mean, obviously, like, that's like a survival (laughs) Survival, tactic. So it's like, what's the balance, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how are people navigating that? And, you know, I think holding space for nuance I, I just i love to know yeah. how other people approach those things and um, trust their ex their experience and their expertise but at the same time make space for new ideas because yep. that's always the most frustrating right is that you hear about these organizations where there's no space for new ideas and yes. I always wonder about that because I'm like well those organizations are typically older and more established and have access to more money and I'm like well what about when Basu's ATX is older and more established and has access Mm. more money, like, Mm -hmm. I mean, that seems to be the one thing that unites all of the organizations (laughs) that act like that. (laughs) So, I mean, if we start to have that, obviously we're susceptible to being like that. So what makes that happen, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think some of it is like that, that expertise and experience kind of being cemented into like not experimenting experimenting yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. so I just I'd love to know how people navigate the nuances of that
1: yeah well let us in on it when you ask someone (laughs) yeah for sure um thank you so much for everything that you shared today it's been so powerful and I know I'm gonna replay this
2: so something that's really sitting with me after this conversation with Jane is everything that she talked about when it comes to being a leader. And that means you can't do everything. You have to learn how to delegate. You have to expand and scale your capacity. You can't move at 100 miles per hour and you can't carry everything on your shoulders. It's not only bad for us in the long run and for Mm. our personal health and happiness, but it also doesn't make you a stronger leader to do Mm. all those things. And. That is so critical to say out loud. It's critical for me to hear as someone who like tries to move a thousand miles an hour. And I'm sure many of the folks listening, because it's actually the opposite of I think what many of us are trying to do when we do put so much on our shoulders and we do move a thousand miles an hour and we try to do so much ourselves. We're trying to be a good leader and a good colleague and do good in the work and the spaces that we're inhabiting. But in the end, if we're not delegating, if we're not sharing that capacity, it really becomes counterproductive to our goal of being our best selves, our best leaders, our best mentors, and people for those around us. How are you feeling?
1: Hmm. Well, I'm also taking a lot from that. And it's just realizing the power that comes out of giving yourself an opportunity to reflect on, on what you're feeling Um, making that it's possible to then adjust and make smarter decisions Mm -hmm. uh, for your day-to-day goals right it doesn't mean that you're going to be less ambitious or that you're going to achieve less or um, that you have to stop what you're doing but it it can push yourself to make some real needed changes not just for yourself and your well-being but for the, the thing you're trying to build right mm-hmm. and so for everyone listening take care of yourselves you badass queens <laughs> you all are amazing and you too can probably use some gentle support and care
2: mm, i love this well looking ahead to next week we are also continuing to tackle a fun issue and something really interesting to onboard myself and hopefully to many of you listening On this show, we've covered a lot of ways that we get and ask for advice from our mentors. But what happens when you get advice that you don't agree with? So we're going to chat with a few guests on how to figure out how to keep advice that is good for us and when to ignore advice that doesn't make sense for us.
1: Mm, I'm listening. (laughs) Spicy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you all so much for listening today and make sure to subscribe. And you know what I'm going to ask? You can ask some of your best friends to subscribe and rate the pod too. Mm. It's better when we all do it together, you know?
2: Talk Talk to 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 you next week. Bye. For Future Reference is a Wonder Media Network original show.
1: I want to tell you about a podcast that I think you should check out. Volunteering to support a political campaign takes a certain kind of commitment. It's just not always that easy. Whether it's trying to make time for it on the weekends and on evenings or just trying to sustain the energy when you've been at it for weeks or months. But when I have company, a buddy or a group to work with, it's a lot easier to feel motivated. On the Pledge podcast, host Allison Daskal Houseman brings you that community through a 15 minute story every day um, from just citizens getting politically engaged. They explore what motivates them to act and about the rewards and power that comes from taking action. The second season has stories from women in Virginia. I just listened to the story about Lisa Sales. It is really powerful to hear how she transformed her personal trauma into the energy that she needed to lead and organize to help women and get Virginia to pass the Equal Rights Amendment. I recommend you take a listen to the Pledge podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Hearing stories about other women who are inspired to get involved in their communities and stay involved will inspire you to take that next step for democracy. Also, FYI, be sure to include the word podcast in your search so you don't get a totally different podcast from England.